Hello guys and welcome to the latest edition of Sport and Life. Now this is uh, similar to James Gold, another person I had the good fortune of meeting and discussing on stage with at the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. It's John Hudson, the UK military's chief survival instructor, who I'm midway through a fantastic book, which of all the things from the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival has made a significant impact on my life. Now he's a chief survival instructor, as I say, and dealt with extreme hot, cold, wet uh, humid, different conditions of the world. But he's actually written a book which is for us uh, average Joes, not to uh, uh, kind of coax us into hitting hitting the wilderness. Or maybe that will inspire you reading the book as well to, to get out of the comfort zone of, of modern day Britain, but also uh, just to, I guess, survival instincts and, and, and clarity over planning of how we navigate the digital tsunami of the, of the modern world in particular and how we plan, how we go about things. John, Great to see you up here for the Literature Festival in Cheltenham now. So yeah. you're a festival pro. <laughs> how, how are you doing? How are you, you well? You've been to Norway since I last saw yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Ed. Thanks very much for inviting me over. Yeah. Um, and first of all, it's great to chat to you again, but I wouldn't describe me as unaverage. I think we're all average when you look at how all of us respond and behave. Yeah. When the things that we need is the same, uh, no matter what we do for a living, um, just because I teach survival for a living makes my needs no different from yours or anyone else's so yeah what, what I've tried to do with the conversations that we're having today and all that other kind of stuff that engagement piece is just make sure nobody feels like they're on a lower rung of this ladder <laughs> than anyone else because we're really no. not <laughs> but what came through is in the, in, this, in the examples you use of, of sort of extreme survival and, and the clarity of thought that people need in those situations mm. and the prioritizing of, of what's important namely getting rescue ultimately in, in a lot of those situations yeah. was was how frail we are physically when we're out of our modern comfort zone that we don't survive very well in the wild anymore like like animals do potentially um but it it was it is just that decision making isn't it and the clarity of thought well, no, sometimes when i read the stories because there's a guy sigen from the u.s mm. air force wasn't yes, he? In, the, right. in the vietnam war who yeah. dragged himself out of a jungle with broken bones and a yeah. fractured skull and all sorts of things yeah. and ultimately he didn't make it out to the, to the u.s but it was an inspiring story but he had that that simplicity of goal, didn't he? And do you think yeah. sometimes this is what in this book, How to Survive, you bring it to life is that actually we need to, to get the clarity ourselves in the modern world because it doesn't lend itself to knowing where the survival is, is it automatically? Yeah, I think you're, you're on the money there, mate. So what I would say is um, having goals and the bottom line, I think, is choosing the right goals. So there's a little bit in there that ties into the Lance Sijon story because you're right, you know, whilst he didn't ultimately survive that specific situation, the way he dealt with his difficulties have become inspirational for generations of mm. other people who may or may not have to follow in his um, footsteps. I should uh, sort of catch my language quite <laughs> carefully to not give the whole story away. Yeah. But um, there are other people who tie into his tale. So when we look at the, the guys who were incarcerated in Vietnam and Laos at the, at the time, they also talk about how to approach this goal setting and how we deal with these, like you say, decision points in modern life. And Jim Stockdale, who was a, a prisoner at the same time, He's a, an advocate of stoicism in the truest sense, not the kind of sense of the modern era where we just... Kind Emotional of, neutrality kind of yeah, thing. Exactly, yeah. kind yeah. of gritting your teeth and putting up with discomfort. It's not that. It's a mindset to do with coping with difficult things. Mm. And part of goal setting is, if it's a goal, it's something you've not attained yet. If it's something you've not attained yet, there's going to be a degree of difficulty in attaining it. And so choosing the right goals, I think, is vitally important. And it's streamlining that decision process is mm. key. So what we're kind of chatting about and what I've written about in the book is that if you distill it all down, it's like picking what's important and tackling it in the right sequence. 
Yeah, it's interesting. In the in the girl who survived in the Amazon jungle, mm. uh, Julianne, is Julianne it? Kupka, Ju- yeah. Julianne yeah, yeah. Kupka, and she had the clarity of thought to listen for water and then followed water mm. out of the jungle. Survival, the only survivor of uh, of an air crash. And yeah. I wonder. Sometimes it's for us listening to what the water is, isn't it? Like you say, yeah. when you go to work, you've got yeah. multiple emails, different social media platforms now, and you've got different goals. Maybe a meeting coming up, and it's working out what your long term goal is. It is it a promotion, for example, and where mm. do you have the the clarity to actually think, where's that trickle of water that I need to, to yeah. follow to get to that promotion? Yeah, and that's really well put because Julianne, um, just to praise you the story really briefly, aeroplane exploded at two miles high, fell through the air for two miles without a parachute, strapped to a seat that spanned like a sycamore seed, crashed through the trees, ends up on the jungle floor. And for those people who are listening who perhaps haven't been to a tropical forest, yeah. it's really Humus. impressive. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. Go to the Eden Project. They can be... <laughs> All my, all, all my, my, my hundreds of, uh, of listeners are all jungle expert explorers. <laughs> well, <laughs> it'd be strange for them to find so this podcast. Something yeah. that you, you don't necessarily see if you watch David Attenborough's stuff on, on TV, where there's a, a kind of a, a, a palette of green across the, the widescreen telly, and it's got real mm. kind of a visceral colours. When you're actually stood in that space, it's very oppressive because it's very, very humid and very, very hot. And there's also, it's like being in um, a, a sound check for every animal on the planet. Yeah. Everyone's competing with each other to, to make noise and to um, almost overwhelm your senses. And one of the first senses that we lose in a, in a uh, dynamic and dramatic situation is our ability to hear things. So commonly when you drive into a busy city, you'll turn down the stereo or the, uh, the uh, music mm. that's playing just to give you that extra bandwidth. Now, Julianne knew the one tip, which was listen for water. But it's really hard to hear trickling water when you're surrounded by all the creatures that are sort of shouting at each other, having kind of face-off. Yeah. Um, and so it's what you said. It's, it's picking out, knowing, first of all, what the right thing to choose is, and then being able to have the clarity of thought or, or hearing or whatever sense you're employing to find yeah. it. So if you've got 300 emails, it's finding the correct one exactly. that's going to be progressive. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, it, it, but it is, yeah, that's <clears> interesting. <throat> but that concept of noise yeah. is very relevant, isn't it, I think, oh, to modern yeah. life. Do you find, because you've just got back from Norway, and you were saying mm. to me almost that now building campfires in the wild and things like that <laughs> becomes almost commonplace to you. And sometimes we become almost, dare I say, boring because you've done it so much. But do you find that natural environment for you now is it easier for you to find clarity of thought than perhaps it is when you're doing your administrative stuff back in near Nuki, your, your base? I think so. I think so, Ed. And it's um, kind of a singularity of thought because when we are out doing those sorts of tasks, yeah. goals are really simple. They're not that um, confusing. It's like, I know I've got to do this by X o'clock. Mine's a training environment. So generally speaking, it would be, I have to build what looks like the best survivor's place that someone could walk upon and go, wow, this guy knows what they're doing yeah. in order to demonstrate best practices to the students. And yet we've got limited time. So that would generally take a survivor days and days and days to achieve. We have to put it together in hours. Um, but we do it a lot. So, you know, you can knock that kind of thing together yeah. quite quickly and set dress it so it looks amazing. But that's an easy goal because we know exactly what we're doing. We know how to do it and we've practiced. And I think that's another key part to it. You've got singularity of purpose in a admittedly stunning environment but also you've done a little bit before so you know which steps to take and you're not discovering while you're doing it so mm. you've got to have to you have to have walked the path a little way beforehand yourself and how many reps do you have to have done to to, to go to there to create a you know because i've imagined my wife if she listened to this uh, she might listen to it, i don't know but she uh she would smile at the thought of me trying to construct a, a survival center because i'm completely impractical she does all the diy in the house so she'd be uh it's kind of like not a typical gender thing i like sport but apart from that she's uh, her dad sort of coached her and she's very pragmatic with with stuff like that but do you have to do the reps before you, you yeah. do that i suppose to, to know how to build a survival you, shelter you do but it doesn't take as much as you'd think um and like 
like DIY. I mean, I've got a slightly designy background like your wife, but I'm not. I'm not a DIY ninja. I yeah. can make passable stuff happen in the house using <laughs> proper tools and proper materials. But perhaps I can make better looking stuff happen in the woods with crooked um, materials and a, like a little saw rather than a big saw. Yeah. So it's it's practice, but it's also not that much practice required. And it's some, something simple like um, one of the cognitive tasks that we put onto the new instructors, which kind of displays their bandwidth again, using that word again, mm. to assimilate new information is to learn some knots. Because mm. we teach the students specific knots. I did hill walking for PA level. Right. That was embarrassing. Right. I remember the guy asked me what the uh, what, this, what this icon was on the map and I said, I thought it was a caravan park. He said it was the summit of the mountain. So I didn't go to... <laughs> hill walking A level yeah. wasn't too great. Yeah, trick point versus yeah. campsite. Yeah. 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 It's not too far. Yeah. You could camp there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So he's not, you're yeah. not wrong. No, no. But yeah, the knots that we will demo to the guys, I'll give them a choice. So it's very, very simple. There'll be two joining knots, uh, two tensioning knots and two attaching knots and they can pick one of each. So they only yeah. have to learn three things, but they have to learn it well enough to teach it and that's difficult so i think if you can explain something to someone else then you've really nailed it and like paraphrasing einstein i think he said something like if you can explain your concept to a six-year-old yeah. then you understand it yourself and i'm using that kind of paradigm to say look guys you don't need to be able to tie beautiful knots you just need to know three mm. but in order to learn these three you need to practice and generally speaking it doesn't take that much it takes probably five goes to embed that knowledge coaching makes you better anyway doesn't it i remember mm. a, a kid's coaching football um and it made me better actually working on the techniques even the fun- fundamentals like side foot yeah. pass and things you go back and play football for your yeah. team and actually after you'd coach kids you'd you'd be better and even recently we did a gym instructor's course and doing exercises that i'd done for years like bench press suddenly you're better because you've learned yeah. the incremental teaching code of it you yeah. think actually i'm thinking about this more consciously about about what I'm doing but I wonder about list making as well do you mm. advocate for people in survival expert survival situations do they have a, a written checklist because you certainly do in the book about how to navigate the office environment in 2019 yeah we we try not to have too many things that have a, a kind of a cognitive load mm. um one of the few things that does is the the list that we ask them to remember and it's written down for them in a little aid memoir that comes in the survival packs but they may not have that with them if they've like left the aircraft yeah. in a rush it's on fire kind of thing and it's really simple. It's protection, location, acquisition, and then navigation. Spells plan. Not a big fan of checklists that's, that spell words. Generally, this one does work. Mm. And protection, location, acquisition, navigation works because it's actually just labeling common sense. So you protect yourself from the environment, you get rescued, and then after that, if you really have to stay a bit longer, get a drink, and then really, really stay longer, maybe find something to eat. And then if it's all gone belly up, then walk home. So that's why protection, location, <laughs> yeah. acquisition, navigation yeah. is the way it is. And that's kind of common sense, but not everyone if they're confronted with a really dynamic, life-threatening situation, would know that the last thing they need to do is look for food. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of stuff in the media that says, oh, yeah, we'll go and chase animals around. Well, you don't have to. You really no. don't. And I think it's supplying... You waste that. a lot of energy chasing a rabbit, wouldn't you? Or something yeah, like that. yeah, precisely. Calories in versus calories out. Much better to use the calories that are in your stomach from the last meal you had trying to get rescued. Yeah. And that's the difference between what I teach to the outdoorsy community and what we talk about in the kind of office space space. Because whilst plan works literally in the outdoors it also works figuratively in the office space because Mm. once you know what the threats to you are by protection well you can just deal with those as you know highest order first so what's the biggest threat to my day what is the one thing that if i don't sort this out will bite me in the bum (laughs) deal with that first yeah and it it does sound like common sense but we as a species the nearest shark you said to me wasn't it? that's right the nearest shark the life raft yeah we as a species are inherently going to look for the easiest path it's the one like your accounts or something like that the thing thing you don't want to do is yeah exactly you want to do the easy ones to give you that sense of progression that little dopamine hit a little tick in the box when actually 
invest three times as long perhaps which is only what 20 minutes yeah dealing with something a bit meatier and then you know the pressure's off for the day i think sometimes get it's interesting we're talking about sleep as well i think sometimes getting that rest then ahead of a day whether you're in a survival mm. in a situation mm. or in the office that mm. it gives you sort of that courage and, and energy to to navigate yeah. the difficult ones doesn't it sometimes i think yeah. we are sleep deprived as a, as a nation yeah and there's a parallel between um, the real life that we all live day to day and the survival training that I teach too. And that's a perfect metaphor. So we all spend a lot of time making a decent bed in the survival shelter because you can build a great roof. But if you're lying on the cold ground, yeah. you're going to die eventually because you'll conduct all your heat away, even if the rain's not landing on you. And it's the same, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the same in day to day life. If you've not slept well, then you're on the back foot the moment you step through the door for the presentation of the meeting. Yeah. And you can apply that same parallels right through all the other kind of tasks that we tend to do these days, be they ones that involve visual acuity because you're working in a design environment or if they're mm. things that require decision making because you're in a high pressure management role. Yeah. It's, and then one of the stories in the book that's fascinating is that another uh, officer in the RAF, so it was a, a stealth yeah. bomber, wasn't it? The guy that's went right, down yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he was, but he was also like, he, it was very unlikely he felt that he would yeah. get shot down, but he was also dressed in a way that he wouldn't get cold. And mm. he had, did he have food in his pocket as well, it I think. Did, so yeah. he was he was very prepared. I mean, that's something that I guess even simplistically, because you talk in the book about hydration and, and mm. the priorities and how mm. food may not be a priority, but certainly keeping hydrated is because of the effect mm. that has on your, your yeah. brain if you are dehydrated and yeah. potentially in the office space. It's like, because I always lose my water bottle. It's just make sure you don't lose your water bottle. And it sounds yeah. ridiculous, but things like that. And you also talk about walking in and getting up and moving around yes. when you're, because for me, I'm sat like yesterday at five hours at a desk broadcasting, but actually in those commercial breaks, making sure I always, and people think I'm a bit, you know, silly, but I get up and sort of stretch and walk around the room and things like that, just yeah. because I know that, and as you said, it actually gets your brain firing as well to, to get walking. Yeah, it really does. So getting walking hydration, they're two of the key things that anyone can keep on top of, but it's really, really easy not to. Um, Dale Zelko, the, the stealth bomber pilot, is a mm. brilliant example of best practice because um, and it really maps onto what you've just said because you could sit behind a desk for four hours and no one would expect you to have to get up and mooch about, but you know that your vulnerability is that if you don't, then it will degrade yeah. your performance. Yeah. And performance in your world is like watched by millions, so you have <laughs> to get it right. And I totally understand that kind of pressure from doing the, the little telly things I've done. So the fact that you make the space to do those little walks and have those sort of sips of hydration is cool. The other bit that people don't realise is that this water dosage, well, it's a little bit more often uh, in, the, in the press these days, but this water dosage isn't just to hit it a one-shot hit. You have to take it gradually. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're wasting it. You talk two litres like you don't want to down two litres no, at the start of the day. No, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So little and often um, is the answer for that one. But yeah, Dale, what a brilliant bloke. So um, quick version of the story. He's flying in a jet that everyone thinks is absolutely invulnerable mm. and yet he gets shot down. But because he knew that there was a small chance that he could get shot down, he had water in his pockets and little yeah. sachets. He had food bars and he was wearing three pairs That's of That's a mental rigidity to keep prepared yeah. in that situation. Because a lot of, we, yeah. like you say, the sort of yeah. the lapses we have of, of comfort, yeah. oh, I won't get it, we fine. Because sometimes you do, you get into a full sense of security, don't you? You do, you totally do. And that's habituation to risk. And that's why people don't look when they're crossing the roads, why they've got the earbuds in, that kind of thing. Because mm. I've not been run over yet. Yeah. There's always that one Again, that's one that my wife always chides me about, and my daughter now, actually, about oh, yeah? how I don't look enough around. Well, yeah, yeah but that's, that's human nature. Once you've walked the path enough times, you believe you know it well enough to pay less attention to it because your brain uses a phenomenal amount of calories yeah. and we've, we've evolved to conserve those because it's hard to get them. But these days, as we have chatted about before, you're only probably about five paces away from a McFlurry or something yeah. like that. But also, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I mean, the general concept that came out of the Wellbeing Festival we were just talking about over a, a cup of tea in my kitchen was that um, 
we evolved in this way to conserve calories yeah. and to rest mm. and, and in a way the consumer world has, has grown up around that so we yeah. have cars we have buses we have trains we uh, have drive-throughs particularly in America I was amazed by how many drive-throughs you can get drive-through anything Bank, yeah, yeah. banks and stuff in the yeah. States is, is phenomenal but then actually and a sedentary lifestyle but then you realise whoa well maybe that primal goal was because generally our lives were very as hunter-gatherers or even ag- agriculturalists mm. we were very busy mm. ha- calorie intensive so mm. you had to rest when you could mm. but we don't need to rest now so you almost have to have you talk about plan mm. we need a sort of holistic plan about how to navigate the modern world don't we I think yeah I reckon you're right and it will involve making time in your day to do those things like you do where you get up and stretch and you have a, a sip of water yeah and I'm the same I've got a stand-up desk now and I love it because it means that the moment I finish on a task I'm less inclined to just click another icon and, and faff. I will just get up. Well, I'm already stood up, but I'll get out from behind the desk, walk and go and Do you get lower chat. back pain at all standing up? Because I sometimes in, in the same position. Or do you move, are you moving around? No, like, yeah. I, tend to, I tend to fidget, as you can tell, because yeah. I'm moving around now. <laughs> but, yeah. but I'll also sort of, you, you kind of shift your weight from one foot to the other. And at the end of the day, of stand-up desk working, your feet will hurt the first few times, but it's like in a, in a good... Um, like when you spent a day on the hill, out on mm. a proper nice long walking day, you know, when you end up probably at a beer garden. <laughs> so you, you do feel like you've had a day's exercise, even though you've actually just been doing the same tasks with a slightly different posture and using a few more few muscles. It's, one of the things, sorry, mate, one of the, one of the other things we do in my world is we'll teach sea survival training. Mm. And at the end of a day on the boat, kind of dispatching people to go and survive in the sea, you're a lot more tired than you would be normally because you're making all those micro adjustments all the time for the rolling of the deck and the, the pitching of the vessel. Yeah. And it's the same when you get a stand-up desk. You kind of shift your posture a lot more. It's probably really good for core strength. I don't mm. know if anyone's done an assessment of that. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't therefore say it's not my <laughs> surfing at all. But, you know, <laughs> you, do, you do burn more calories and you feel better at the end of the day. But you do surf. And we'll get to talk a little bit about that and, mm. and sort of the concept of mindfulness and, and things and, and sort of meditative states but mm. and how to get away from some of the digital uh, storm that we, we encounter. But how did you get into this, this whole thing? Did it ignite? Obviously, the RAF was a, a driving force mm. to be part of that. But the outside aspect of it, the survival aspect, did you have from an early age... A draw? Do you feel that you know sometimes you've got that primal kind of need to be outside? Was that part of your your attraction to the whole side of of, of military and survival instructing? I don't. I think it's just a, a happy accident for me because I don't know why, but I'd always wanted to fly. So I was lucky mm. that I, I was able to um, achieve that kind of uh, ambition when I was younger and get a, a job as a pilot. You have to have good eyesight, hearing, and stuff like that. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. So you, you get a very, very rigorous medical, which, to cut a very, very, very long story short, is why I no longer fly because of a minor medical thing years ago that's never really impacted my daily life, but prevents me from flying now. Mm. Um, and then the survival part, the overlap. I had always loved the outdoors and family holidays. Had always been walking holidays and. I was lucky that my mate Matt over the street is going back <laughs> onto the field, so we go and play in Matt's garden and then bunk off into the... Did you, did you play sport? Did you have a sport of, of yeah. choice? Yeah, I used to play loads of rugby. Rugby did Union, you? loved it. Yeah, open side flanker back in the day. Did but that team dynamic, has that helped you in the survival business and working with, with other soldiers? And it, it certainly helps in the, in the military in general to play team sports, but it's not a, a, a showstopper if you don't. Mm. Lots of people I know are very good at individual sports or just very good at you know, individual skills that aren't necessarily on the sporting domain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it did help me. Um, I went into a multi-crew environment on helicopters and having learned the kind of the ways of the team on the rugby pitch, it was very easy to yeah. um, adapt and, and sort of do that. Because in rugby, you kind of surrender to the captain, don't you? It's got almost more authority than perhaps in, in football per se yeah. to speak to the referee and to, yeah. to di- dictate play a bit more. Yeah, and I got that thrust upon me at an early age. The kind of <laughs> the, the games teacher sort of joed me as team captain oh, wow. and, then, so and, then, you, yeah. and then like the, after, the town teams as well so I mean I don't remember having too much input in the outcomes of the matches but I certainly was the bloke that had to have yeah. the you know 
come here, son. Yeah. One of the lads had <laughs> done a misdemeanor. Yeah, yeah, gouge gal- gal- someone. <laughs> but I think that for that aspect is to come out of the book. Obviously, it's practical for how we navigate everyday life. But one thing that comes out is that maybe we do just need to be outdoors. And you talked about sleep, mm. and we both are kind of Matthew Walker fans, and mm-hmm. the book he's had out, and the podcast he does, and things like that. And sleep expert at the University of Berkeley, and he talked about the importance of just being outdoors in daylight to mm. our sleep because it's uh, serotonin mm. then converts to melatonin and we, all this kind of stuff but do you feel that you instinctively knew that was that something that drew you out there i don't know i instinctively knew when i wasn't getting the right dose of outdoors fun because yeah. all the things the, the, the downsides to not getting it i'd never mapped it onto any scientific studies until very recently when i was doing the sort of research for how to survive but the uh, the other most recent stuff that i think is interesting is the university of exeter have also kind of done a meta study of lots of different pieces and they found that the dosage isn't that much it's actually mm. only about a couple of hours a week yeah so that and when you say uh, get more outdoors time some people think well that's difficult i work in office i'm never gonna be able to do it if you say to people get two hours a week yeah. well, suddenly that's achievable we well, can walk 10 minutes to work from the bus exactly. or get on an earlier stop or, exactly. or walk at lunchtime pop yeah. out yeah yeah it's those little net sort of um, um marginal gains that will add up to the two hours and then that actually getting that extra outdoor space is equivalent to something like i think it's either 60 or 20k extra in your bank really the kind of feeling of well-being and, and reduced stress that you get there's yeah. a different study in america but yeah it's like a a, a tangible difference to your well-being and i was reading a book actually um by robert mcfarlane i think and he's he was a contemporary or younger protege of i think roger deacon who wrote waterlog book about right. wild swimming in britain and yeah. um, it's called the search for the wild places or something it talks about britain being very unwild in lots of places as you know kind of mm. some islands off island or that are kind of rugged and, and, and un, unkempt but everything's quite manicured and even when you're in the nature like walking the Cotswolds around here it's very nice but mm. it's very easy comfortable pathways yeah. and you know everything's tamed nature's tamed do you feel that from going to those more wild places you get obviously it's, you feel your own mortality <laughs> the, the temperatures and stuff <laughs> yeah. you go to and how real that is and how frail we are but do you feel that there's something about getting closer to nature as well you feel it a benefit from I think that's a really interesting question because I know, science fact, that it doesn't have to be an untamed wild place to get the benefit. It can just be a leafier um, urban street. Like a park in London. Well, not even that, mate. If you've got trees down the side of the street, that's got a benefit to it. So it could be just walking. Cheltenham's a lovely city that I don't know yet, but I'm going to get to know because you've got lots of leafy avenues. I mean, that's a very, very good example of it. But even in uh, London, you know, that's quite a green city with trees. And even if you go to certain areas of like New York, you've got plenty of green spaces. Yeah, Central Park. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 And then down some of the, um, the avenues off, there are still trees either side of the street. Oh, that's so, interesting. So you get the microdoses yeah. in enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the bit that I find quite fascinating because you don't, like the water we were talking about earlier, you don't have to take two litres in one go. You don't have to spend <laughs> two hours in Central Park. You can walk down the right avenue that's got trees on it and yeah. you feel those net benefits. And even um, even when we were talking earlier about you know how, how to get it, the extreme wildernesses that I've been really privileged to go to, it's almost like you're overdosing in it. And there's something of the psychology of this that, that maps onto that too. So for the first three days or possibly just three hours, if you're quite used to it, mm. you will feel a little bit overwhelmed when you go to a brand new place. So if you yeah. imagine the first time you step out of the airport in a, a bustling, busy city with a foreign language that you've never been to before, it's a little bit much. So that's the, and that's the same for everybody. Nobody will be dropped, will can be plonked in a brand new place that's new to them without feeling a little bit head spin. Yeah, everyone gets it. It's part of the species. Synapses kind of run a block, too many inputs. Yeah, 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 you don't yeah. know what to dial down, and dial up. You don't know what's a threat, what's an opportunity. Um, and it's the same with these extreme wildernesses that I've been fortunate enough to be plonked in. But what I have found is that 
um, I get as much benefit from mooching around the, the fields and lanes of England as I do from trudging really? through the tundra in Alaska or wherever yeah. else I've been. Because you, you don't think that... Or do some people... That, what about these expeditions, people like Pip Stewart? Do they need yeah. something extra? What's that? Is that, are they? Because the, you think about the human race. We went from Africa around the world pretty quickly, didn't we, relatively. Yeah. I think there is something in our genes to, to need to explore, to, to, to take new territories on, which we've kind of run out of now to a certain extent, apart from these extreme ones. So that's a really good question because there's been a lot of research into it. It's called DRD47R, the Explorer Gene. Yeah. And it, it's... It's been proven by the guy who sort of isolated it, and he contended recently, and I think it was National Geographic, there's a brilliant article um, that he, he did in there. It says it, the, the 20% or so of the population that have this so-called explorer gene, it doesn't preclude the 80% of the rest of us, and I include me in that, that 80%. Yeah. You know, I've never tested my genes for it. <laughs> I don't think I'm an explorer, <laughs> yeah. which have been lucky to go to some cool places. The, um, the rest of us, it doesn't preclude us from having adventures. And, and whether or not that is the, the sole driver, he says no, because it's far more complicated. Like everything, it's yeah. far more complicated. Nothing's that black and white. <laughs> but, you know, when it gets soundbited down into some kind of neat thing that will fit on Twitter, then it's, yeah, it's that gene. You've got it or you've not. Well, it's the same with survival. There is DR, no DR47. DRD47R. DRD47R. I'll, I'll double check after we've chatted yeah. in case you need to put it in the show notes, but um, yeah, no, pretty sure that's the one. Yeah, yeah. and um, it, it, yeah, 20% of people carry it, and you, they are more risk-taking, they're, they, you know, they're less risk-averse, they're more likely to go on adventures, and I've got good friends who firmly believe that it's kind of a, 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 a marker for doing it, and it probably yeah. is, but the guy who isolated it says it's not a go no go item it's not a binary thing you have it or you haven't you will adventure or you won't everyone can go out and stretch themselves <laughs> which i think is encouraging because if the the key to happiness is to get out into nature more then not having one little gene isn't going to preclude you from it far from it yeah and that micro dose of it is interesting in the in the book as well just the planning concept isn't it to go back to that is is because you, what you plan then you have put in work and then you have hope mm. and then it's a circle mm. that, oh, yeah, that yeah, leads yeah. you back to planning and i suppose yeah. planning is people looking at their day and thinking like you say maybe i'm going to um try and get some some exercise going to walk to work and mm. actually i'm going to go and go in the park and have my lunch and yeah, be around trees and, and things like that and suddenly incrementally you feel better and then yeah. then the productivity and performance improves it's, it's super simple and that little um, triangle you described that's a kind of um, a way to sustain yourself <clears throat> sustain yourself through anything really so mm. if your goal is to get out more then yeah it will help you with that but equally if you've got a uh, sort of a morale crushing deadline at work it's the the perseverance engine that will will get you through that yeah. that's that's based on far greater minds than minds uh science, start but... on the big goal straight <laughs> yeah, exactly. away is what you say yeah and then yeah. break it down yeah. yeah and have those stepping stones leading you to the ultimate success yeah yeah, yeah. let's talk about surfing quickly before you go because it fascinates me because i've only ever boogie boarded but i love being by the seaside so very envious of you <laughs> being uh i think near newquay and in, yeah. in cornwall which it's is lovely, a fantastic yeah. spot particularly when the rest of us leave in the summer and you've got it to yourself <laughs> uh but you get from the, the sort of experience you talked about is a lot because i tried mindfulness but i said i think mm. i mentioned to you that actually mm. five-a-side football almost over an hour in, indoors because it's so intense and it, it switches off that sort of thought process. Mm. It almost has a, a sort of preferential effect for me, I suppose, because it's something I've always loved doing. But f- is that something you get is that you just get a sort of peace when yeah. you get out on the water? Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, it's very, very humbling once you've managed to battle your way through larger sort of sets. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm not paddle fit, so it's difficult. But there's a goal in itself. You don't get back onto that. But when there's a, a nice clean day, some of the most mindful points I've ever, had, I've ever had in my life is where you're just totally focused on one thing which is catching the next wave yeah and it is really really um, grounding even uh, wrong wrong <laughs> metaphor probably but you know what I mean it really centers yeah. you but, but, but actually, Apple have probably got a phone now you can take out with you which is probably the exact opposite of what you want isn't it we talk about that how there was you know it's like having these health apps and stuff yeah. on your phone you're like well I look at my phone and I get a text message so it's sort of completely yeah. counterproductive of uh, I think because that's what it is is now we've got this not only our own 
internal chatter we always have, but now that internal chatter is getting constantly mm. fueled, isn't it, with mm. the, the digital world and the, and the smartphone, which is great because people like you communicate and me and you yeah, connect and stuff, which is, but it's just using it and knowing when you have to have a period of time just to switch yeah. off from, from it all is. of it. It's a tool. It's not a third hand. You don't need to have it on you all the time. You know, it's something that flight modes are a saviour. You can put it in your pocket. Apps like Moment that tell you how much you're abusing your screen are brilliant because yeah. then that really sort of shames <laughs> you into using it less. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm not against technology. I'm not a Luddite, but I think it's got time and a place and time isn't all the time. Well, you've got great social media f- uh, feed, particularly your trip to Norway as well. You write some really interesting stuff and uh, on your Instagram account and Twitter oh, account. And yeah. But how do you handle that aspect of it with trying to stay present and do your job? Do you have certain times a day that you, you interact with that? I'm really hit and miss, Ed. I, yeah. I try to um, be present and also have a social presence. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, and the nature of my work doesn't lend itself all the time to social media. So no. a lot of the stuff that we we do and teach never goes near the, the, <laughs> the phone. Picture so, of a slideshow or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, or just some of the diary. Some of the kind of um, sneaking about stuff that we teach people, you know, how not to get caught in enemy territory oh, stuff. Yeah. You know, I would never bust any of that stuff on social media. But um, so if there is like maybe a two-week hiatus where I'm not talking much online, it's because I'm doing something that, it benefits the people who might need it to not yeah. talk about it online. Yeah. And then when I'm doing stuff that's kind of um, camping, you know, extreme what, living out your pockets <laughs> in any part of the world, the, the Arctic desert or the jungle, and I think that's, that is unclassified information. It's open source stuff. And all we're doing is the Royal Air Force and yeah. the UK MOD spin on it. So that's kind of engaging and interesting and builds that sort of presence for... for well, you I wouldn't work. walk around checking your phone and messages back all the time, oh, things like that? No. Nah, no, I'm a, I'm a shocker. So you're good at switching off from that? When, uh, when yes, to, to yeah. the, much the chagrin of the people I work with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I think we need to survive in that way, don't we? And actually, you think about the influx of data. I don't think oh. we have the bandwidth for all of it now. No, we don't. It's a torrent. And there's so many channels that can be on. I've personally turned notifications off from everything except text messages. Yeah. So um, if someone really, really, really needs to get hold of me, my phone's on silent, I'll look eventually, maybe once an hour. WhatsApp groups are a killer, aren't they? Work oh, ones yeah, or hobby the, gr- ones or sport ones. The world ones. runs on it. The yeah. world runs on WhatsApp groups. Yeah. So yeah, they're People unavoidable. 100 messages when you come out, like one of those talks, you know, did yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the Wellbeing Festival yeah. and suddenly there's, you know, my brothers have got a football one there. We're all Man United fans. They're lamenting that and the demise at yeah. the moment. And then you've got a kind of course you're doing and you've got your work colleagues. And yeah. It's just a whole load of There's people. a way I organise my days, mate, with all this. And initially it was just emails, but now it's kind of this as well. And I batch all that into like when the postman comes. So the postie used to turn up once in the morning, once in the afternoon. And I do that. I just look at it all then and then turn it back off. Yeah. And if they really need me, they send me a text because that's the <laughs> one thing I'll listen to. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's good, good tips. I think it's definitely the concept of having a plan, I think, is important because we don't often think about that. In, in, we would in a survival situation. We'd realise it, but I think we don't realise it in our everyday life. So how, how do people get hold of you? Give us a tip of, of, of where to go. The book's out everywhere, is it? Oh, yeah. The book's been out since the very end of June. Yeah. Um, and it's doing quite well, so I'm pleased about that. But uh, if you go to Amazon, I guess, for the easy hits... I prefer people to go to small bookshops, but then also, you know, I need to sell the book. So <laughs> the reality of the world, find, a find small it. Yeah. Yeah. So my website's johnhudsonsurvival.com. Um, there's a section on that that's just titled book and all the sellers from foils and waterstones through to the local bookshops. And um, there are links to where to buy, how to survive there. Yeah. Um, if you are just, you know, buying stuff online, then obviously it's available from the usual sellers. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. You've got to get back in the water soon and have a surf. I will, you said yeah, I too will. Busy. It's a busy week this week, though. We've got the SEER Symposium on at work, so I'll be down there talking to all the UK SEER instructors from the military ah. um, and maybe get in the water one morning, one evening, because it's just about clocks change, isn't it? And that's yeah, it's temperature's nice in the water this time of year, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well? it is. Are you enjoying the Rugby World Cup? You I've that? not seen any yet. No? no I was away, Early morning, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe England through to the quarterfinals. We'll see how they get on. Yeah. John, been a pleasure. Thank you, mate. Cheers, Ed. Lovely. Thanks very much Thank for having you. Me, mate. 
Cheers, guys, uh, for listening to the podcast. Do check out uh, iTunes, put a review on there. would be lovely to do that. Uh, check out John's social media and uh, t- uh, tag us in anything if you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Cheers.